When you think about missions, what often comes to mind? For the longest time, when I thought about missions, I thought about a work that just takes place in the middle of nowhere, somewhere overseas somewhere, somewhere in the middle of Africa or Asia or the Middle East. And when I thought about missions, I thought about missionaries, and I pictured Indiana Jones type stuff, you know? Out in the middle of living like in this grass hut, fighting off poisonous snakes and eating bugs. I mean, something completely foreign to me. And let's be honest, unless you grew up on the mission field or in a mission-minded church, at one time or another, you probably had similar thoughts when you think about missions, am I right? And maybe you still do. Maybe there are some of you here who, when you think about missions, you think about something that's just far removed from you and far removed from the church. And like I said, this is the way I felt for the longest time until uh, I was in college and I really started studying my Bible, especially the book of Acts, and, and I began to see and understand the specific mission that's been given to us, the church, by Christ. And it wasn't until I went on my first mission trip after graduating college that I got to really see firsthand how the local church plays a part in this mission, in assisting missionaries in and around the world in taking part in what God is doing. And what you'll find when you get in there and you study the Word of God, when you study the Scriptures, what you're going to find is this, is that missions is not a work to be far removed from or optional for the local church. Mission ministry is to be an essential part of who we are and what we do and is to be emphasized and prioritized by us. And that's why we at Fellowship are all about missions. If you have your Bible, turn to Acts chapter 1. We're going to be looking at Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 8 this morning. Today we are finishing our sermon series entitled, We Are Fellowship. And to begin this morning... I want to do what we've done each time. I want us to, to look at our mission statement once again. You don't have to read along with me. I'll just read it this morning. Fellowship Bible Church exists for the purpose of making disciples by escorting people to Christ, establishing people in truth, and equipping people for ministry. And what we've discussed so far in this study is that the church... This church is where this happens. Several weeks ago, I shared with you that the church is the place where you come to know Christ and where you grow up in Him and where you get equipped to use the gifts that God has given you for the purpose of ministry. And, and I shared with you that that's what our church is all about. Our church is all about equipping believers to grow up in Christ. We're all about making disciples. And for the past three weeks, I've been explaining to you how we go about doing this. Several weeks ago, I explained to you that one way we do this 
One way we move people toward maturity in Christ is in and through corporate worship. And I explained to you that what takes place here on Sunday morning, week after week, is you're to come here to get equipped to worship God properly in the right way, in a God-honoring way, because worship is to be based upon truth. Two weeks ago, we talked about the importance of connecting with other believers. And we discussed that for us to be what God wants us to be, we cannot live our Christian lives in isolation. We cannot. We need one another. We need to connect with and live in community with God's people. This is essential for us to be what God has called us to be as a church and as a people. Last week, you remember we talked about the importance of service. <clears throat> and we looked to our perfect example, the Lord Jesus. Remember we talked about the fact that if Christ, who is God, did not cling to that status but emptied himself took on flesh and dwelt among us and was obedient to the point of a painful death on a shameful cross, how much more so should we be willing to humble ourselves and to roll up our sleeves and serve one another? That's Paul's point. That's why he says, have this mind in you. Well, this week we're going to end this series by looking to Christ once again. But instead of looking to his example this morning like we did last week, what we're going to do is we're going to look to his teachings in Acts 1 to better understand the importance of mission ministry and to get equipped for the mission God has called us to do as a church. So let's now look at Acts chapter 1. Now we're going to be focusing primarily this morning on verse 8. That's a key, key verse in the book. But we're also going to make mention of verses 1 through 7 as well. This morning, I want to give you five principles. Five principles from this text of Scripture that, that, that are going to help us better prepare for the mission that God has called us to. And here's the first principle here. Number one, we need to understand and experience the impact of missions. Before doing missions, we need to first come to understand and experience the impact of missions before we're going to truly value it. Now, before I begin Acts chapter 1, verse 8, let me give you a little background into what's going on here, okay? This is during Christ's post-resurrection ministry, the period of time after his resurrection and before he returns to be with the Father. And he's getting ready to leave earth and go back to be with his Father but before he does, he gives his followers some final words. Here's what he says. Verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. <clears throat> now let's stop right here and let me ask you this question. Did Jesus' followers benefit from being a part of God's ministry? Think they did? You bet they did. Look at what it says here. They were empowered by the Spirit of God. And God used their involvement in this mission as a means to make them more like Christ. Don't believe me, just look at Peter. 
Look at the Peter of Luke 22, where he denies Christ. And compare that Peter to the Peter of Acts chapter 2, where he is standing and is, is unashamed and is boldly professing Christ and putting his life on the line. It's night and day difference, isn't it? The reason why? Because when God uses us for his purposes, we benefit. We do. When we take part in doing the work that God is doing here and everywhere, it changes us in a good way. I'll never forget my first mission trip to uh, Mexico City. And it was after I graduated college and I went with a group of people. And before I left, I was spent time in prayer that, that God would just really use us to make an impact for him over there. And I was praying that, that, that God would change the hearts and lives over there in Mexico City. And little did I know that the biggest change would take place where I least expected it in my own life. I've never been the same since that trip, and in a good way. I saw people with nothing praising God for what they had. I saw God's heart just as strong for the people over there as it is for us here in the States. I saw him do a great work. I saw him doing a great work in and through followers of Christ over there. And I saw him use our team in a great and mighty way for his mission and for his purposes. It was life-changing. Taking part in the work that God is doing outside of these church walls, it changes you in a good way. It does. So I want to urge you this morning, you're not involved in mission ministry to get involved in some way, shape, or form. Either by going, by praying for missions, by learning about missions, reading what's going on out there, and giving money toward it. It changes you in a good way. We need to be all about missions because of the influence that it has on our lives personally. Number two, second principle is we need to know and embrace the purpose of missions. No one embraced the purpose of missions. I cannot stress to you enough how important purpose is. I mean, we've been talking about it for the past five weeks now, haven't we? I've reminded you time and time again what our purpose statement is. Now, why am I doing that? Why do I continue to remind you week in, week out what our purpose is as a church? Here's the reason why. Because if we don't have a clear justifiable biblical reason for why we do what we do then we don't need to be doing it do we we don't when acts chapter 1 verse 8 jesus gives us our purpose as his followers he says in verse 8 you will be my witnesses now witnesses of what well jesus obviously right because he says, my witnesses, but what about Jesus? What are we to be testifying about? What are we to be witnesses of? Well, take a look at Acts chapter 1, verse 1. Luke says this. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. Now, just to give you a little background on the book of Acts, it's written by Luke, 
What else? What other book did Luke write? Luke, right. It's a sequel to Luke. That's what Acts is. Think of, think of Luke and Acts as kind of volume one and volume two. Luke is, is Luke's gospel, and then he follows up with the book of Acts. And that's the book he's referring to here in verse one when he says, in the first book, he's talking about the gospel that he wrote. And he says, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up. So what are we to be witnesses of? The whole story of Jesus, aren't we? Beginning in Matthew 1.1, Mark 1.1, Luke 1.1, John 1.1, all the way up until he's taken up in Acts chapter 1, verse 9. That's what we're to be witnesses of. For example, we're to be testifying about Christmas Day, aren't we? The incarnation. We're to be testifying about the fact that Jesus emptied himself. He left the riches of heaven and he stepped into the world in which he created and he took on flesh and he dwelt among us. We're to be witnesses of that. We're to be witnesses of Emmanuel, God with us. We're also to testify the fact that Jesus lived the perfect life that we could never live and died as our substitute and perfect sacrifice so that we might be made right with God. We're to testify of that. We're to also be witnesses of his resurrection, aren't we? It's what we celebrate on Easter. But we're to be witnesses of that all the time, not just once a year, am I right? Luke takes time here to highlight the importance of the resurrection. He says in Acts chapter 1, verses 2 through 3, after Jesus had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen, he presented himself alive to them after his sufferings by many proofs, appearing to them during 40 days. Luke right here is being a witness of Jesus' resurrection, isn't he? He's writing to Theophilus. Now, Theophilus was a guy that Luke knew very well. He wrote Luke, he addressed the Gospel of Luke to Theophilus and the book of Acts. And he's being a witness here to Theophilus of the resurrection. Did Jesus appear to his disciples? A few times, right? We're told he appeared over a period of 40 days to remove all doubt from his followers that he has been raised. And the resurrection, it becomes the major emphasis of the book of Acts, doesn't it? does time and time again they're telling the jewish leaders this guy who you killed this jesus you put to death god has overruled that decision and he has raised him to life and you know what they appeal to not an empty tomb they don't say look here the tomb's empty we know jesus is alive no they appeal to a risen lord whom they have seen and heard and been with During a court case, there are few things more convincing than eyewitnesses who can testify of and are confident in the things which they have seen and heard. And guess what? That's what we have in the Scriptures, don't we? 
We have testimony of these eyewitnesses who, who claim to have seen the risen Christ and they record these things in God's word so that we can be convinced of and go out and take this message to others. So this is what Jesus means when he says, be my witnesses. Saying you need to, you need to testify of my person, my work, and also my teachings. We're not just to be witnesses of Jesus, what, who he is and what he did, but also what he taught. In Acts 1, Luke focuses on Christ's teaching on the kingdom of God. He says here, and Jesus was speaking to them about the kingdom of God. Now that teaching, the kingdom of God, is, is a major part of Jesus' earthly ministry. And, and not only that, but it becomes the central concern for the book of Acts. In fact, Acts begins with, in Acts chapter 1 verse 3, and ends with, in Acts chapter 28 verse 31, this teaching of the kingdom of God. Now what is that? What is the kingdom of God? Many people in those days that were mixed up about it can be simply defined as this. God's kingdom, the kingdom of God, is God's rule and reign in the lives of his people. That's what it means. When you trust in Christ for your salvation, the Spirit of God comes in and takes up residence in your life, and your allegiances change. You're no longer going at life on your own without God. When you trust in Christ, you change allegiances. You make Him Lord and you live your life guided and directed by Him. That's what the kingdom of God is all about. And there is an already and not yet aspect to this kingdom in Scripture. There is that which has already happened and that which is still not happened yet but yet to come. What has already happened for us? because we've trusted in Christ. What's already happened is this. Jesus has come. He's taken on flesh. He's lived the perfect life we can never live. He's given his life as our substitute and sacrifice and has paid our sin debt. And he's been raised to life so that if we trust in him for salvation we can be brought back into a right relationship with God. We can have God take up residence within us so that we can live under God's guidance and direction, follow His rule and His reign. This is what's already happened to us as followers of Christ. But there's also a not yet aspect to our lives. And what that is, is we have not yet become what we will be. We have not yet been made perfect in Christ. There is a time coming when we will be perfected. There is a time coming when sin will be removed from our life and sin and heartache will be no longer. There's a time coming when we're going to be like Christ. Now, What's challenging for us is this. We still live in a world that's very much fallen and very much broken. Am I right? I mean, we can still look in, in our world today and we still see sickness and, and death. We can look around today, and I'm sure many of you have, and you can say, you know, the world doesn't seem very redeemed, does it? It still seems 
broken and fallen. And at times, this can be frustrating and confusing and challenging for us. Have you ever looked around and just said, thought to yourself, man, if God is committed to making things right, then why do things seem so wrong, so broken, so fallen? The reason why is because God has not yet made a public display of what he has reserved for his children. Though the penalty of sin has been removed from our life, that's what's already happened, we still experience the power and the presence of sin on a daily basis, don't we? But there's coming a day when not only the penalty of sin will be removed, but the power and the presence of sin will be removed And that's what's to come. That's to be our message. We're to be witnesses of these things. We're to be witnesses of what has already happened. The fact that salvation has been made available to us through Christ. And we're to also testify of that which has not yet happened. There is coming a day when we who are trusting in Christ are going to be made right. We're going to be made perfect. We're going to be made like Christ when we see him as he is. And every tear will be wiped away, we're told. There will be no more sickness, no more death, no more sin, no more struggle. We'll be in the presence of the Lord for all eternity. That's to be our message. It's important that we support and are involved in missions as a church because this is what Christ has left us to do, to testify of Him, to be witnesses of Him, of His person, of His works, and of His teachings to a world that needs to know Him. Third thing Jesus calls for His followers to do when it comes to missions is recognize and receive the power of missions. Read again with me Acts chapter 1, verse 8. He says, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. As we've discussed already, there are a number of things going on within just this verse of Scripture, am I right? But among other things, one thing that Jesus is doing here is he is preparing his followers for a very significant event. Now, throughout biblical history, there are key events that are extremely significant that take place in Scripture, aren't they? Very extreme, extremely unique and significant events. One of those is creation. Creation is a significant event in history, isn't it? At, at creation, God spoke the world into existence. Imagine that, the world with words. And God formed man from the dust of the ground, and we're told he breathed the very breath of life into him. That's an extremely important and significant event, isn't it? Another one is the fall. Though catastrophic, it's extremely significant. Through one man's disobedience, sin enters into the world and ruins and wrecks God's perfect creation. And that's what's wrong with our world today. Another one's the incarnation. Talked about this already. There was a time in history 
when God stepped into his created world, he took on flesh and dwelt among us. An extremely significant and unique event. Another one is the death, burial, and resurrection of the Lord Jesus. Another extreme, unique event. Jesus died once and for all for our sins as our substitute so that we could be brought back into a right relationship with God. And here in this passage, Jesus is preparing his followers once again for another unique and extremely significant event. In verse 5 he says, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. What Jesus is referring to here, is the extremely significant and unique event called Pentecost. He explains here, at this event, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out upon you in a very unique way at this event. After this time, those who trust in Christ for salvation will be indwelled with the very Spirit of God, and that is a permanent indwelling. That's a very unique, very important experience that, that Jesus, very important event that Jesus is preparing them for. And this is not the only time he mentioned it. In, in John chapter 14, verse 16 through 18, Jesus says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees Him nor knows Him. You know Him, for He dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus promises His disciples after He leaves that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit is going to come and He is going to be with them and He is going to dwell, indwell in them and, and He is going to empower them to accomplish God's work. So the power behind the mission is the Holy Spirit. Now many have argued when Jesus left whether or not he took a risk leaving his work in the hands of ordinary men. Have any of y'all ever wondered that? Whether or not Jesus took a risk? What do you think? Did he? Sure does seem like he did, doesn't it? Because he gives them this, this challenging assignment in verse 8. And in verse 9, what does he do? He leaves. Imagine what the disciples would have been thinking at this time. Jesus, don't you think it makes sense? Since this, since this mission is so challenging and so important, doesn't it make sense that you would stay here with us and help us to accomplish this? Did Jesus take a risk? As you carefully study this text and others like it, what you find is that Jesus' confidence is not solely in the work of these men and women, but it's in the, but it's in the work of the Holy Spirit in and through his followers. Jesus lets his followers know in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, that they're going to be successful and they're going to be his witnesses throughout the world because they're going to be empowered by the Spirit of God. In Acts chapter 1, verse 4, Jesus tells his disciples to wait on the promise of the Father, the Holy Spirit. Now, isn't it interesting that Jesus tells his disciples to wait here? I mean, throughout his ministry on earth, 
He's telling his disciples, come and follow me or go and make disciples. He's telling them to come and he's telling them to go, but here he tells them to wait. Why? Why wait here? Because they are in need. They're in need of the Holy Spirit. They're in need of the Holy Spirit and His power to do the work that God has called them to do, to, to make Him known, to be witnesses of Him where He is not known. Now the problem at times for us, we run into this as well, we, we often fail to acknowledge and to see our work of the Spirit. We do. Let me ask you this, how many of you all have ever been to Niagara Falls? Just raise your hand if you've been. All right. A few of you. I've never been. My wife has been. Well, let me ask you this for those of y'all who have been. How many people do you think go every year and they stand and, and look at this awesome sight and they say, man, gravity is awesome. Look at gravity. Look what gravity has done. Isn't gravity incredible? I mean, look at this picture here. You think they stand here and say that? Look at how awesome gravity is. Well, why not? In gravity, what makes Niagara Falls impressive? Now, I know you're going to say, well, God makes it impressive, but work with me here. In gravity, the power behind water flow, but it's, but it's often unseen, isn't it? and therefore often goes unnoticed. And I think the same is true of the Holy Spirit. Though He's very much at work in and through our lives and in our church, and in, he's, he's behind every successful ministry. Because He's an unseen power, His work often goes unnoticed. We don't give Him the credit that is due Him. When it comes to fruits and ministry, when we look at fruits from ministry, we say, man, that person's impressive. They can speak. Look, look at how they can speak. But we need that person to come in here and preach that message so people will get saved. When we fail to acknowledge God's empowering agent behind the message and the messenger, the Holy Spirit. Listen, if we're left to ourselves... God's mission would be in jeopardy. It would. We're in need of divine power, and we have that in the Holy Spirit. Maybe you're here this morning, and you're thinking to yourself, man, God could never use me. I'm not a good speaker. I'm not uh, much in the way of a, a leader. I mean, how could God use me? Listen, I know this to be true. From personal experience and from the Word of God. If that's your thinking, if that's the way you feel, I, God could never use me. I don't have anything that's, that's worth bringing to the table. You are the exact person that God delights in using. Truth of the matter is, without the empowering of the Spirit of God, none of us would be worth anything in ministry. None of us would have anything to offer. It's His work in and through us that makes the difference. So we need to recognize and receive the power behind the mission, the Holy Spirit. That leads us to our next point here. Jesus goes on to tell us that we're to become an instrument for missions. 
Look again at Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus says, you will be my witnesses. Now at the end of verse 2, we're told that the apostles, they were chosen by Christ, weren't they? They weren't self-appointed. They weren't appointed by any human being, committee, or church. They are appointed by Christ. Jesus had called them out of the world to be witnesses to the world, and, and he had called them to, to leave their old life of comfort and familiarity behind and follow him and be witnesses for him. Get this, believers. We've been called out in a similar way. We have been. If you've been saved, you've been called by God. I think oftentimes we kind of separate the two. Well, I've been saved, but I've not been called. Yes, you have. The two go hand in hand. You've been called out of this world for a reason, to be witnesses to the world. You remember I said earlier, just as it's wrong to say that the entire mission is on our shoulders and in our hands and take credit for it, it's also wrong for us to think, hey, God's in control. I'm just going to put it in cruise, and I'm just going to watch God do his thing. That's not to be our attitude either. Like the apostles, believers, you've been chosen by God. You have been called out of this world to be witnesses to the world. So let me encourage you, become instruments for missions. Fifth and finally, Scripture says we are to target the world for missions. Look at the end of verse 8. Jesus says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. What Jesus is essentially saying here is this. I want you to go, and I want you to make me known where I am not known. I want you to go and be witnesses of me where there are no witnesses of me. I want you to go and talk about me where I'm not being talked about. This is what Jesus told us, that we are to be doing until he returns. We're to go out into this world, and we're to make him known. He told his followers, you're to go to Jerusalem, but not just there, right? You're also to go to Judea and Samaria, but not just there. You are to go and be witnesses of me and make me known to the ends of the earth. You are to make me known among all peoples in the Middle East, in Africa, in Central Asia, in Southern Asia, in East Asia, in Europe, in the Pacific Rim, North America, Central America, South America, wherever there are people, I want you to make me known so that I could be known and worshipped where I am not known and worshipped. It's crystal clear what Jesus is saying. And the Jews Jesus was talking to here in Acts 1, they needed to hear this. Because at that time, they truly thought, we're God's people. There's only one God, and we're, we're, we're His. So that just leaves everybody else out. It's kind of how they thought. There's only one God, but there's only one people, and we're His. 
And Jesus had to clear up this line of thinking here. Remember when he said, I have other sheep that are not of this fold? That's what Jesus is talking about. And here in Acts 1, he's saying, now it's time for you guys to go get them. And you've got to go beyond Jerusalem. And listen, we need to hear this as well too, don't we? We do. We have a tendency to, to think that Christianity is an American thing. And we got dibs on Jesus. And if we have a little change left over, we'll, we'll throw it toward missions. I've heard people say, you know, why can't we just focus on our Jerusalem? Whether it be Jacksonville or whether it be wherever, Tyler, wherever. Why can't we just focus on our Jerusalem? And I'll agree with you that, that there are people here who need Jesus. But you know why we can't just put all our eggs in this basket? And by the way, there are churches on every corner doing that. Focusing on Jerusalem. You know why we can't do that? Put all our eggs in this basket? Is because Jesus left us an assignment. And it was specific. He said, along with ministering to people here, you're to go and you're to make me known throughout the world. This is our mission as believers. This is our mission as a church to use the resources we have to support God's mission and His missionaries and to even go when we have a chance to make Christ known where He's not known. Would you pray with me?